Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Blaubanger. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Uh, we are diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly, and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Get involved. I've always wanted to do that. That's great. <laughs> uh, before we get stuck into things, uh, Mitch, I'll pass over to you just to cover our uh, social platforms. Fantastic. All right, we're on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby. We're on Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby podcast page, and we're also at Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. So definitely give us a like and a follow. And so to say thanks to everyone for coming on board with the Pick and Drive Live on Thursday last week. Uh, massive thank you again to Harry from Draft Rugby for joining us. It was awesome to have him involved. Uh, make sure to get involved with the Fantasy Rugby competition when it starts up next year from the Draft Rugby guys. Give them a listen and a like if you want to know a little bit more about that. Uh, another exciting thing is we have had a few questions come in and we can announce that we are starting up a tipping comp for the Rugby Championship. We were sort of waiting for official confirmation that the tournament was going ahead, which in some ways we haven't yet received. But <laughs> since it's kicking off next weekend, we assume it is going ahead. So it's loaded into Super Brew. So we will do a tipping comp uh, like we did for Super Rugby AU and Super Rugby Trans Tasman. So definitely get involved with that, get behind it. And we'll be doing what we did last time and putting up the top three and the Yellow Cat winner every week. So keep an eye out for our social media this week. We're probably going to put a post up probably Tuesday morning with a link to how to get involved. If you were involved in either Super Rugby AU or Super Rugby Trans Tasman, I believe it should automatically send you an invite. So please, if you are listening, check your emails and jump in and, and get involved with that as well. And the good thing for all of our listeners, I will be involved in this comp. So you already have one person beat. You just have to manage <laughs> to get over everyone else that joins. Um, look, tonight we're going to be covering uh, the Bledisloe 1 match between New Zealand and Australia. We'll have a look through the British and Irish Lions tour because they wrapped up their series with Game 3. Uh, we'll also do a bit of a preview of the Rugby Championship. We've got our first full week of fixtures coming up uh, before we dive into the locker room. So looking forward to this one. So let's, go. let's go. Let's go, let's go, let's go. All right, we now move to the main course, the best part of the weekend, which was Bledisloe 1, New Zealand versus Australia at Eden Park. Now history was against us and history has repeated itself with yet another, what some might call valiant, some might call annoying because we keep doing the same thing time and time again, defeat against the All Blacks 33 to 25. Now, despite the Wallabies showing some really pleasing fight at the end of the game, realistically New Zealand had won this match soon after half time or at least we're in a dominant position and it was a case of Australia coming back again when they were really really far behind and leaving themselves with way too much work to do so let's start off with you Mitch coming away from this match being a Wallaby supporter were you how how were your immediate feelings about this about this result is it is uh, you are going to me sorry not Rev Yes, yeah, cool. Rev and Mitch. Uh, Your name is Mitch. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It, it was a confusing one. Um, I was watching this with my family over Zoom, and one of the things that they mentioned a few times was, "You're very calm. Why are you so calm during this game?" And I think I went into this just expecting to lose, considering mm. it's Eden, Eden Park. We didn't do well against the French series, so in some ways I was frustrated because we lost. 
but also sort of optimistic that we came back and we only end up losing by eight points. Which um, I predicted, by the way, so thank you. <laughs> well done. It was frustrating as well, considering that Noel Alessio was not having a good day off the boot and he left something like 12 points out on the field. And mm. if he kicked those points at very different times of the game, we're probably looking at a different outcome. Uh, you can't necessarily say if he kicks all his points, we win the game because depending on when they they happen and they sort of add momentum to certain plays and those kind of things. But it is frustrating that he never seemed to pick up or compensate for the wind and he ended up missing six kicks, I think. Or it was, I think he ended five. up getting... Five. Yeah, two from seven, I think his, yep. his final kicks were. So from that part, it was quite frustrating but at the same time, optimistic that they were able to come back quite strong at the end there. And I mean, what was it? 65 minutes? We were sitting at uh, 33 to 8. And so yeah. to finish on 25 to 33 was pretty, optim was pretty good. Was that similar to what you were feeling, Rev? Um, it sort of ebbed and flowed throughout the game. I, I too was watching uh, the game on a Zoom call with my mates and there were just moments where we thought, oh, well, we're in a really good position. And, you know, if we got this kick here or there, it changes the game. Um, I can't repeat what was said because we're a family-friendly podcast, but um, <laughs> what was said after that intercept try, you know, it was, I think, so the tipping point. Yeah. And, and that's pretty, um, I guess, familiar for a lot of Wallabies fans. They've seen those moments where we're riding the contest and then something against the run of play happens, normally um, due to our own fault, and, you know, the, the games are sort of lost from there. So I think that was probably the big tipping point that um, decided it for me. With the kicking, it's interesting. If both players had kicked all their points, it would have been a 37-all tie. And I think that speaks volumes about, um, as Mitch said, the need to kick in the right moments. Um, the big one for me was that misconversion off Kellaway's try. Yeah. I think if we just get that moment to get ahead, because we were trailing the whole match, um, that, that just would have been such a different pressure moment. And I think that probably would have forced New Zealand to kick for sticks um, right before halftime as opposed to going for the try. Mm -hmm. just so they could edge ahead and have a 12-10 lead. And that looks so much better than 16-8. Mm. It was just a you know a gap we were never able to claw back. So I'm, I'm probably in the same boat. I was pretty negative immediately after the match, but I think I've come around to being um, you know, happy because that was probably a little bit better than I expected. And I think that's a lot of the feelings that Wallabies fans have. And, and a viewpoint towards that could be that we're accepting mediocrity or we're accepting failure. But... I feel like it, you're just kidding yourselves if you expect us to smash the Wallabies, smash the Kiwis at Eden Park. It's just not going to happen with this particular team in this iteration up against this quality all-black team. It's not going to happen. Um, the other point that I just wanted to kind of speak to is that idea around Wallace's, um kicking. And I've seen a lot of quotes or a lot of comments going around uh, just slamming Lolisiu. And my brother was actually watching the game and my brother's not a massive rugby fan. He didn't watch any of the French series, but he watched this match. And he was crapping all over Lolisiu's kicking. And to, he said, oh, who is this guy? What's going on? <laughs> and I basically just went to him and said, look, he had something like a 95% kicking accuracy within the French series. And it's not as though one bad game in horrific conditions as a new person, that's never new player that's never played there before in those conditions makes you a horrible player. 
And so I don't think we're going to see, I mean, we'll talk about um, predictions of team lists and stuff like that later, but I don't think we'll see a massive change. And I'd expect to see Lolisiu jump back and actually have a good kicking performance next week. He's even come out afterwards and said that he just couldn't predict where the wind was going. And he was really, really struggling with that. So well, the, fr- yeah, the frustrating for the thing for me around that kicking was that he never actually seemed to compensate for the wind. So there was one shot and I th- it might've been that uh, conversion from uh, Kellaway's try where they had an angle over Lalesio's shoulder and you can see up in the stands, you can see the flags above the um, the television and it, they're blowing really strongly. And he's aimed the ball straight at the middle of the sticks. And I was saying to my wife as we were watching it, I was like, he needs to kick hard at that left upright because it's going to hit the wind late and swift. But he kicked it straight at the middle of the sticks and as soon as it hit the wind, it bowed, bowed away. But he had another four or five kicks for the rest of the game and he never compensated for the win. He never changed the direction of the ball off the tee and never sort of kicked into the wind to let it um, hit the wind and sort of swing around. And that was frustrating in of itself that he didn't sort of seem to try and do anything different. He kind of just kept trying to hit it and stay in his rhythm, didn't take the win into factor. But also it, towards the end of the game when we had both Reese Hodge and Matt Tamua on the field, he still had three shots a goal and missed two of them. He converted the last one. I would have thought you might have thought by that point when he's missed four or five, that might be a chance to change kicker and bring someone else in to have a crack. But they yeah. stuck, stayed with him and it, it, it ultimately didn't end up um, paying dividends. Yeah, I mean, it's realistically, the kicking isn't going to be the thing that loses us that game. Um, if it's a purely mathematical perspective, yeah, sure. But I mean... One converted kick changes the complexity of the game, so you can't make that assumption. Uh, One of the things that was really fascinating was the small mistakes that really cost us dearly. So you have that try that um, Sebu Reese scores right before the halftime. That was a halftime try, wasn't it? Yep. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then um, the try straight after the halftime break as well uh, to Mwango, the intercept off Paisami's uh, bullet pass. So the one for Severus's try came off the back of Hooper being in front of the kicker off the kick return. And that's just a simple, simple mistake that he he owned up after the in the press conference after the game and said, yeah, that was, that was just bad. That was my mistake. Um, and then Paisami's bullet pass that got intercepted by Mwango just didn't need to be thrown. Like it was not the play to be making. He should have really just trucked it up and gone for the recycle and then cut it back in field. But I think that that's just, again, a level of inexperience is coming. And Rev, you might remember this. What was the stat in terms of the inexperience of the Wallabies backline coming into this match? Do you recall anything that was said about it? Yeah, combined they had something like 37 test starts or something like that, or maybe 52 tests between them and about 32 test starts, I think. Yeah. Um, Banks was the most experienced with 14 tests leading into this match, the only one with double digits. Um, yeah, there was just such a golf in experience, especially yeah. when we consider it was Aaron Smith's 100th match. He had the whole team covered. Like doubled. Yeah. <laughs> just on him, just in himself. And so I think we need to also be lenient. So when people are critiquing this match and saying it's more of the same, well, I'd actually argue it's not more of the same because it's not as though we have an incredibly experienced team which is doing the same mistakes that they have always done. You could argue it's the same mistakes that Australian teams have done, but that's not inherently what this team is doing. And I'm actually quietly confident, well, maybe not quietly confident, actually, we do have a podcast, um, in, <laughs> terms <confident>. of, <laughs> in terms of their development curve or the development pathway that they have before them. Um, 
So th- there's a lot more to be said about that, but why don't we keep going? So Mitch, which players stood out to you within this Wallabies loss? So we're focusing just on Australians at the moment. Yep, I was really impressed with Kellaway. I thought he stood out. Yeah. Um, considering yep. this is his, was this his first start yes. for the Wallabies yeah. and second or third cap overall? He did not look out of place on that on the wing. Now he's not. He hasn't played a whole lot of time um, in that wing position for Super Rugby or in his rugby career, he's kind of one of those players, sort of like Reese Hodge, who ends up popping up all over the back line. But when he took, when he got this opportunity, he really took it by the scruff of the neck. And yep. that try that he scored was brilliant. Uh, we, we had a few predictions that he would be first try scorer. So that was exciting to see that he crossed first. Um, but yeah, he didn't look out of place. He was quick um, off the mark with the ball. He made a few good impacts uh, running up the tight and he made his tackles as well. So I was really impressed with him. Yep. Rev. Um, for me, I think outside of Calaway, Ikatel was yeah. one that just stood out to me. I thought he didn't get the chances you'd want in attack, but to me, the two big things, a huge left boot. It's awesome to be able to have players that can kick off both sides. Um, and he had a really good set of clearances, uh, and also defense didn't miss a tackle. And that's kind of what we need is someone that can shore up the defense. And if we do have a set 13, um, it's nice knowing that there'll be someone in there that can read the place quite well. I agree. Um, for me, I was... I was really happy with Tate McDermott throughout the majority of the game. Um, I feel like in the second half, his passes started to lose the zip and the Mm. potency. And he started to kind of loop them a little bit more, which just meant that we weren't able to get as much of a forward drive off them, where you can just run and the ball just smashes straight into your chest, keep going. They're having to kind of hold up and reach for the ball rather than just run straight onto it. Um, So that isn't a massive slight against him. I think he played really well, but maybe he needed to come off about five minutes earlier and then bring Jake Gordon on, who I thought was pretty decent. It's an interesting... It's an interesting... uh, dynamic that's that's happening with that reserve scrum half that this the starting scrum half can have a great game and do everything right and then sort of start to tire or start to make a few decisions incorrectly in the later half of the game and the replacement comes on and starts fresh and starts fast and all of a sudden you're starting to think wow like this game Tate McDermott played well we can't take that away from him but when Gordon came on he seemed to lift the tempo of the attack again and started to to make some really quick darts around the the base of the ruck um Now, I'm not saying that Tate McDermott needs to be benched next week and Jake Gordon, For Jake Gordon needs yes. to start. That's not at all. definitely what you're saying. That's you're not at all what I'm that. saying, but it's just interesting <laughs> to, think, to see that when those roles are reversed, the same thing happens. When we had Gordon starting, Tate McDermott comes on and makes a big impact. Now everyone's saying Tate needs to start. Jake Gordon does the same thing against Tate McDermott. It's just interesting to see yeah. that our bench yeah. players, and it's, it's not just in the, the scrum half position. We saw it uh, in the front row in the forward pack as well. The bench players really do come on and and add another level to the game and really lift their tempo, which is really great to see. Yeah, it's hugely positive. And that was one of the things that I um, was a little bit concerned about in this match. I just wasn't too sure about the impact that our bench could have, but all of them performed quite well. I was really impressed with Matt Phillip coming on um, late into or midway through the second half. Uh, He was very, very solid in the line out and shoring up our mall as well. Um, I thought Darcy Swain really struggled in the first half, the line-out was all a mess. I think, was it our first four or five line-outs that were either disrupted or we just lost completely? Um, yeah. and, and that, that was... That also that was, was down to BPA's <laughs> throwing, not accounting for the win factor. Both yeah, and you struggled. know what? There's a lot there. 
yeah. And so what I actually really loved was Darcy Swain's then decision to do a couple of um, trick plays off the line out. So going for that little short uh, pop pass to, I think it was McDermott um, or whoever was at the front of the line out and then do that short side run. And then the long pass that set up Kellaway's try onto a barnstorming Paisami who some naysayers will claim was slightly offside <laughs> to which I claim that Brody Retallick came through the side to so shut up. Um, so there's a lot that can be said in either way, but I just love that Swain was willing to shift and change up the lineouts that clearly weren't functioning within the first portion of the game and we had dividends that came from it. So that was great. Um, why don't we go any players that really did not stand out for, well, that stood out, but for bad reasons. Uh, I, um, so why don't we start with Mitch? Yeah, I don't want to highlight a bad player, but I was disappointed particularly with Pataya. Uh, we haven't yeah. seen a lot of him, and particularly in Wallaby's jersey, and this was his opportunity to really make a stamp on that wing. That wing spot has got a lot of contenders for it. We've got Dalgunu, we've got Korobedi, we've got Budavalu when he's fit. So Pattaya needed to come in and really stamp his, his mark and put in a good performance, and I don't remember seeing him touch the ball in the first half at all. 26th minute was the first minute time was the first time. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily his fault. He definitely wasn't getting as involved uh, in the play that Korobedi does. He wasn't going looking for things. But at the same time, I don't know whether it's the fact that we weren't feeding him enough ball and getting it out to the wings. We were trying to play mm-hmm. it a bit tighter and up the center. But at the same time, he didn't go looking like Korobetti does. And Korobetti pops up all over the field and has big impacts and big runs, um, big ball presence, whereas Pattaya didn't have that. And yeah, when uh, when he got subbed, I don't remember, recall him doing a whole lot or contributing to this game. No. I He was a player that I was thinking as well. And... Um... I won't add anything more to that. I think you said that whilst being quite nice at the same time. Rev? Um, for me, the starting front row, only because they did all the basics pretty well around the park, good carries, um, 34 from 35 tackles, so that's great. But I think the one thing that we were trying to pin our um, flag to the mask of was we wanted to have scrum ascendancy, maybe milk a few penalties. Um, and in that first half, we gave away two um, penalties to New Zealand through the scrum. That's how they got that 6-0 lead. Yep. I just think that's probably one of the things that we have the capacity to fix up. Um, that is something that we can rectify. And I think leading into the match, the talk was around us having that uh, dominance and that being probably our one area where we could, uh, you know, get on the front foot. And we just didn't. So I think that's probably the the only downside that I want to mention from there. Obviously, you know, a few players had little bits and pieces that we'd like to change. But um, overall, I think, you know, for the young side, I think they did quite well. Yep, okay. Let's keep on shifting forward. Oh, one last mention, and it's, it's a 50-50. I thought Hunter Paisami played the first half or the first maybe 35 minutes really well, but something happened in the second half, and it seemed like initially he was trying to disrupt the All Blacks ball, and he got about two or three quick turnovers, just one-on-one strips on the player, and the All Blacks, particularly their backs, really took um, notice of that and started to do that to him in the second half. So when he was running with the ball, there was a few times that he turned over some some loose carries. Yeah, and yep. unforced errors like that really started to hurt us when we were really chasing the game and trying to build that ascendancy. Now, he does have the presence on the ball and the ability to break the line, but he needs to control the ball better. We can't be turning yep. it over that easily for the All Blacks because as we, can, as we know, they score so many points off un, unstructured play. 
Yeah, and that's a big thing that a lot of people have been saying about Paisami and Pattaya is ball security. Going into the tackle is incredibly important. And we didn't see much of that from um, Pattaya, largely because he didn't get the ball very often. Uh, but Paisami definitely was guilty of that uh, within this game. Now, looking to some of the reasons for the actual All Blacks victory, we've spoken about the Wallabies for a fair bit. I was really impressed with the ability of the All Blacks to continually just place pressure upon the Aussies and just force basic mistakes. So whether that's line-out errors, whether that's sort of spilling the ball in the tackle, they were able to kind of disrupt our continuity with the ball and generally not through any foul or niggly play or anything like that, but just from good quality, hard tackling and defensive pressure. And so that's a basic thing that led them to get in front. If the Wallabies are going to be beating the All Blacks, we need to just minimise unforced errors. Simple as that. And they pressured us into making those mistakes and we have to be better in that area. Rev, were there any key points that you wanted to kind of unpack that the All Blacks did particularly well? I think the biggest thing for me is how teams use advantage. And we saw it with that game that the two tries they scored uh, through David Havili and Damien McKenzie, um, they were both scored off penalty advantage. Yeah. So they started both of those players in our 22. They got advantage for some infringement. Um, I think one offside, one um, not rolling away into the rock. But instead of, you know, a dodgy grubber kick through or just, you know, throwing it, not really protecting the ball and having it turned over, they just kept the ball for a few phases and ended up scoring tries off both of those occasions. Um, Australia do the exact opposite. Mm. We, you know, put an aimless grubber through when we can't quite see something happening. It's a real miracle play in, like, I can't think of a time where it's come off. Um, it's more so just, you know, a grubber to the side. If a winger gets it, great. If not, we've got the penalty. Uh, I think we could really learn from that. We need to be aggressive in defence when uh, our teams have the advantage because we'd rather three than seven. Uh, but we also need to make better decisions when we're in that same spot. Didn't, yep, we, score a, didn't we score a try? Uh, Tom Banks scored from a run, run through chip and chase. Yeah, but it wasn't from it wasn't a, from um, an advantage. It wasn't from yeah. advantage. So yeah. that is, was just yeah, identifying the space. Very interesting, really well. as you said, because that seems to be a mentality of the Wallabies at the moment. Is as soon as we get yeah. a, a penalty advantage or a full arm given our way, it's almost like we just sort of give up and it's we'll yeah. we'll take two two contacts and then we'll go for a kick. Whereas let's go for a hail mary because yeah, we can. we'll kick yeah. it across the field. We'll kick it across to the winger who's clearly marked. Or chip it through and we'll get the penalty and we'll, we'll choose what to do from there. But as you said, the All Blacks really do make it count and, and look for those gaps and continue that momentum. Oh, mate. They're, all, they're just a different team, hey. That attacking play out of their own <laughs> own try line that nearly resulted in that try would have been one of the best tries in the modern rugby era. Um, Did you? <laughs> I mean, if we ignore the fact that there were a minimum of two forward passes and one obstruction within there, like let's just ignore that. Um, it was brilliant. And the attacking intent it shows and the confidence it shows to have that um, desire to attack from your own 22. Did you see awesome. Michael Hooper giving it to Aaron Smith in the change rooms afterwards? About uh, that. So I, I didn't because see it, it was about his, that bit. because it was his hundredth test cap. Michael Hooper presented him with like a saw, framed, yeah, okay. framed picture or something, and they did a little speech. And he was to saying how great it is to see Aaron Smith get to hundred. He's always great. He gets better and better. He had a great game tonight. Uh, probably would have scored the try of the century had it not been a forward pass. <laughs> <laughs> That's cheeky. I love it. Okay. Uh, now let's move ahead into next week. So we've got the second game at Eden Park. 
And it's going to be a tough one, obviously, with three match series. We need to win this and the following game two weeks later over in Perth to have a chance of winning the Bledisloe. So a lot of the talk has been that, yeah, okay, Eden Park has a bit of history behind it, but we get to play there twice a season. So it gives us twice the opportunities to break that uh, break that hoodoo. So do we expect there to be many changes considering that I don't think there are any injury concerns coming out of this game as far as I'm aware. Uh, I believe Nick White is likely to be in contention to be in a 23. Mm -hmm. uh, he was meant to be kind of in the picture for this game, but obviously yeah. didn't make it back in time. So maybe next week. Uh, Nicerani, Famasili and Corombete will be back and available to be selected. Um, and I'm not sure if there's anybody else from an injury perspective I'm missing. Is there anyone injury-wise? Swinton might come back as well. Swinton. Okay, cool. So maybe back from his ankle injury. Okay. So with all that being said, I'm going to get in there and stay safe from the start. Uh, I want to see Kellaway stay in the squad. Mm in the 23 yep. and yep. I'd actually prefer him to be in the starting 15. Yep. So with Corin Bette coming back in and taking the 11 jersey because he deserves it on his performances over the last like two years, um, Corin Bette 11 and Kellaway 14 for me with Banks yep. at 15. So that's that's my call. I agree. Yep, I back that. That's what my call as well. Yeah, okay. Rev, you cool with that one? I'm cool with that. The change for me would be um, what we do with Pattaya because... I think he does add some X factor. So does he go onto the bench in place of Tamura or Hodge? Or do we need that experience back there? I think Batai has always been that player that needs to start or he doesn't make the 23 only because of his injury proneness. If he comes off the bench and picks up a niggly injury soon after, we've just lost a player. So for me, he needs to start. And I wasn't impressed enough with the performance that he put in this week to retain a spot in the starting side. So I think uh, Bataya comes out of the 23. I think we bring Corabetti into the wing, as Ando said. I also think that Tom Banks has been a little bit in and out the last few tests. Hasn't really made a, a great strong scored case. Scored two tries. Yeah, he scored two tries, but anyone could have scored those last that one of those tries. He just basically <laughs> fell over the line. He still scored two tries. Like you're gonna drop him after scoring two matches against two tries against the Kiwis in Eden Park. I am. So what I what I would be doing is dropping Tom Banks out of the out of the starting side and bring Hodge in to fifteen, because then and we keep uh, Lalesio at ten, because I think outside of his kicking game I thought he was fairly decent at, the, at that number ten spot. Um, maybe he retains the kicking duties to start off with, but if he then starts to struggle and it is windy and he's not making those kicks, then we use Hodge as a backup kicking option. Because what we saw this week is when he started to miss some of those um, those kicks and shots at goal, we didn't have a backup kicking option until sort of late in the game, which by that point was probably too late. Yeah. Okay. Look, I disagree with you, but I, I understand what you're saying. Um, and I get it. For me, I think Banks deserves to stay there. Um, I think as much as possible, we need to be backing this team to improve over time. And I don't think there is an out and out player with form and runs on the board to oust Banks after that performance. Now, he wasn't amazing. He dropped, if a, you... he dropped a sitter. Yeah, okay. I was literally <laughs> about to say that. He got falconed <laughs> and it was hilarious. And then he also got penalised for it and it didn't even touch his hands. So poor bastard. He gets the embarrassment and the penalty called against him. Um, but outside of that, he was good. And I don't think he deserves to be dropped. Now, I've already heard your opinion, so I don't need to hear it again. But my point here is that Banks, in my mind, stays. Um, and if we're dropping Pattaya from the wing, then for me, he's probably out of the 23 
or or the argument would be dropping him for Hodge and then Hodge drops out of the 23. But I also like what Hodge brings in terms of kicking. The one thing I was really impressed with actually was our um, wide defence this game. The Kiwis didn't get around us on the wings at all throughout the entire game, which was fantastic. Except um, they run away. No, but that's different. That doesn't count. That's not our wide defence. That's an intercept. No, the, the runaway try wasn't from that intercept though. It was a one-on-one oh, yeah, tackle this, that Moana yeah, but, broke but out wide. It wasn't a try, then, was it? Wasn't a try. Yeah, but it still it still counts. <laughs> it still counts as an out wide no, one-on-one um, miss. So that's my call in terms of the um, backs. I don't think you change anything inside of that. And then for the forwards, I was pretty happy with that. Except I don't know if this is going to be contentious. Is anybody else feeling that Harry Wilson's not playing that great in the internationals this season? It's tough to say because he he had the most meters out of the the forwards. I mean, he only had eleven meters, but you know he had that nice run off the back. He does add that bit of oomph. I think it'd be a different story if he had made those two hits on Richie. We saw they are trying to play that aggressive rush mm. uh, defense, and because he did slip off, I think two or three tackles, it looked a little bit um, too loose or scrappy for what we need in Test match rugby. And maybe there's a good argument for having nice Ronnie in there because yeah. he might just you know pick and stick as opposed to. Um, trying to put on the hit of the century. But um, I think that's one of the areas we're actually quite uh, blessed, I guess. I I don't mind who our six is out of Altini and Swinton. I don't mind who our eight is out of Nicerani or Wilson. I don't mind who our 20 is between McWright, Nicerani, Sabu. Like, we could put all these players in here. I think it's um, a bit of a luxury having that many players in those positions. So if Harry did get dropped, I'd I'd be upset for him. just because I, I do think he's played so well throughout the Super Rugby season. He's got a lot to offer and he's probably had the best form coming in. But at the same time, we've got so many good options. It, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if Nice Ronnie came into that number eight jersey. Yeah. Mitch, what do you think? I'd be at uh, that particular chat. Harry Wilson. Harry yep. Wilson. I, I think he's been all right. I um, Yeah, he, he missed a few tackles and he, he wasn't as impactful as he has been in sort of Super Rugby AU. But I think he's still, he's still young and he's still doing... He's still doing well for um, a number eight. I I don't know if Nicerani is going to come in and have a more imp- impact on the game than Harry Wilson's doing at the moment. Uh, so I, I'd be happy to see him <laughs> stay there. Is he going overseas, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah where's he going, Ken? Uh, is he Japan as well, I think? Yeah, yeah Japan somewhere. In yeah. Japan. So, I mean, yeah, okay. yeah for All the longevity right. of that, maybe we just leave Wilson here and he'll get better the that's, more he that's plays. That's what I'm thinking, yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. One question I had for you guys, actually, before we get to that question, because it's about reserves, uh, in the second row, I'd be swapping Philip and Swain. I think Swain yep. did well to yep. control the line out, but I think he has more of an impact like Tupo coming in late when he's up against a tied uh, forward pack. And we saw that in the last French test that he came... Oh, did he start the last French test? Or was it the second one? Anyway, he yeah. came on late and he disrupted a lot of the malls and started driving some good malls for the Wallabies. So I think he's more impactful off the bench, sort of like Tupo. Yeah, I'd actually agree with that. I thought that um, Philip is a better starting player. Although, uh, you know what, let's not get too too far down this rabbit hole. Uh, I Mitch, just wanted to ask before we moved point? off this is, what did we think of Fraser McWright as that uh, blindside flanker pure yeah, I didn't option? rate him. I didn't rate him particularly. Um, he didn't get that many minutes, but I'm also, I just don't see him playing that role. And it's unusual well. to have an out and out six. Who can't play eight on the bench? Because yep. if we get an injury, there, now like, seven. You mean? Well, he came on for six. He came. Oh on right, yes. Because yeah. he didn't sub Hooper, so he came yeah. on and Wilson went off 
and Valentini switched to eight. So yeah. it's it's an unusual thing to have an out and out six on the on the bench when you because if you have an injury to number eight, then who do you bring in and that sort of thing. So I, yeah. I think it's smarter to have someone like Samu or Nicerani who could play both. Or Swinton yeah. even. Yeah, I just it seems to indicate the desire to have a bit more speed and up tempo at the end of the end of the match. And I mean, I can like that, I can enjoy that, but I just don't think we really saw a huge impact from him within and that. Was, but was a, I'm happy for him to get more experience. I there mean, was a point raised by Turanui when he came on in the comms that uh, with both Hooper and McWright playing that ball fetcher, that they were getting caught out and getting caught short if, out wide. That both of the yep. players was trying to hit the ruck fast and get the turnover ball, but then that meant that they had two players out of the back line. Yep, yep. Rev, any thoughts before we move on? I'm just saying with McWright, I don't hate this strategy against New Zealand because you know he he does move the ball well. He's from like in his 20 minutes. He had uh yeah that as well. <laughs> but he, he had he had four passes and offload. He he beat a defender and he had you know a decent enough return uh, meters per carry, but. Um, yeah, I think that's a dangerous thing to be doing against the bigger teams. I wouldn't do it against South Africa or Argentina just because New Zealand were playing with a, um, I guess, more running style loose tree as opposed to, you know, these big boppers that are getting over the ball and protecting every run. I think it didn't look too bad and it's good to get him some experience. But yeah, you're right. I think, um, you know, we probably see Nasrani back on the bench or Simon back on the bench if um, available. I don't think we'll see him there again this week. All right, predictions for game two. It's going to be Saturday, same time, same place, same teams. Obviously, some minor personnel changes, we can assume. Although, if New Zealand just want to change their whole 23, they're more than welcome to. So, just know that you have my blessings, Ian Foster. Uh, Mitch, start us off. Who's going to win by how much? Wallabies are going to win this one by two. Oh! We're going to break the record. (laughs) The hoodoo. Uh, New Zealand by 10 for me, except I think the difference will be it'll be tighter throughout the whole match. Like we won't see the massive blowout and then come back. I'm, I'm hoping it'll just be a bit tighter throughout. Yeah, sure. New Zealand by eight for me again. Um, I think it's going to be close, but I still think this New Zealand team is too good. Um, okay, let's move on. We're going to head now to the British and the Irish Lions. Game three, the finish of the Lions tour in South Africa. Let's go. We are now moving to the British and Irish Lions game three against the Springboks, which was played overnight. And unfortunately for Lions fans, the Springboks did come away 19-16 victors. I think unfortunately as well for most fans of rugby around the world, this wasn't the most exciting game, but it was the final of a British and Irish Lions tour, which was the finale, which is always exciting in of itself. So, boys, I'll start this one off and I'll throw this to you, Ando. Did you actually enjoy watching this game? No, not really. Um, and next question. <laughs> <laughs> next question, like Rev, throw yeah. it to you. <laughs> um, no, um, I, I didn't particularly enjoy it. It was, it was better than the second match, um, worse than the first. It, it just sort of ebbed and flowed between the three, but um, none of them overly exciting unless you had a horse in the race. Yeah, and that's the thing. I felt like I, I was forced to watch it because we do a rugby podcast. Um, after the first two games and all the crap that went on in the media and outside of the game, I just didn't care. It had just taken away my enjoyment for this series. So, no, I, I didn't enjoy watching this game. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It, was, it wasn't a high-scoring game. There was one try apiece and a lot of penalties and a lot of kicks. Very Northern Hemisphere style of rugby when you compare it to 
the Bledisloe Cup game that was played beforehand with eight tries. So two different sides of the coin for uh, rugby fans there. Uh, I'll throw this one to you, Rev. How much has this series damaged the game of rugby? I don't think it's damaged the game in terms of, you know, people should stop watching or, you know, people shouldn't go for the spring box. Like, I'm not going to uh, miss out on watching them play. I still think, you know, there's a lot of positives. You know, um, the highlights package just shows some really nice glimpses, so it's not um, damaged in that way. I think the the issue really comes from uh, that Rassi video. Mm. How much does that change, you know, what we can actually get away with in a game? We've still yet to hear a final verdict from World Rugby about how that's being handled. Um, I think South Africa should be happy with their win. I mean, it's an awesome um, achievement and one that they've done twice in a row where they've won the World Cup and the, um, you know, the success of Lions two or two years after. So I think that's a great feather in the cap. But I do think they need to call into question how much, um, I guess, the refereeing changed and the the um, narrative changed once that video was made and once every decision had to really go under the microscope. Yeah. I think we need to find that um, line in between where, now, you know, no fan thinks it's overly biased, but at the same time, we're not spending 60 minutes through every half, just, you know, going through every detail. So so if that doesn't have an overall impact, then I think the series, you know, we'll just sort of forget about it over time. Uh, but if that does impact the game, this will be the catalyst. Yep. Andrew? Yeah, look, I, I'm concerned about the direction of kind of the game and commentary around a game based upon this series. And a large part of that is due to Razzy Erasmus. And the difficulty is that it has created within what has maybe, maybe I'm being too naive here, but from my understanding has been generally a pretty fraternal bond with between rugby players from different nations where we can disagree and we can make jokes and we can kind of mm. uh, egg people on and stuff like that. But by and large, you, you're like in it together and you just love the game of rugby. But the amount of... Um, outcry that there has been this us versus them mentality, particularly from South African fans, has been really troubling to see that they can't recognize that, yeah, okay, maybe there are some points that Razzie makes that are valid. Okay, maybe some of those penalties were questionable and maybe some of the ways in which Sia Khaleesi was spoken to were were um, not appropriate for the captain of a national team. Let's just say that. But to then say that every single aspect of what Razzie did was undeniably the right thing and that it's better that it happened this way because South Africa is continually being let down by W. It just, it became, the narrative around it became so much bigger and divisive and polarizing. So it's termed in, it is starting to create in my mind this idea that you can't actually now, and I noticed it uh, over the weekend with some of the commentary that we were giving about the Bledisloe match, that um, you can't now, it seems, critique the actions of a referee or making, uh, or make a comment about how your team's hard done by without there being the inevitable comparison of you just chucking a Razzie. Yeah. So I reckon it's becoming like the new Godwin's law within uh, within online discourse. So Godwin's law, for people who don't know, is the idea that as um, online discussion continues and grows, it will inevitably lead to a comparison to Hitler or Nazism, right? Yeah. And so it immediately devalues your argument. And because it's gone to that trap, gone down that path, the overall idea is uh, just moot, null, yeah. void. And so I'm really worried that, like, in future, if we 
point out one one call that a ref has made that we disagree with, uh, then we're just going to say, oh, mate, just get over it. You're just chucking a Razzie here. Mm-hmm. And it then devolves, it takes away from our entire point. Like, uh, it's just frustrating. I'm not, did I express myself well there? I don't know. I hope it's I've come a, across not it's just a black hole. It is a black hole, isn't it? Um, yeah. One thing I'll say around this point, and I think the most disappointing part of this whole series, when you when we've got such a public... Uh, issue as this Rassi Erasmus video that came out, there would be so many people from uh, England, Ireland, Wales, Scotland, who and New Ze- and South Africa, sorry, who would have turned in to see this series, maybe because it's a Lions series, first of all, but then, and not generally rugby fans, but also now that this video has come out and it's in the media and everyone's talking about it, they turned in to see the result. And the disappointing thing for me in that is that they weren't witnessing a great display of rugby it was very defensive games not a lot of points scored lots of kicks a lot of downtime a lot of medics on the field a lot of doctors a lot of hurry up let's get the game set that kind of thing quite overall boring games for rugby not a great display of our game now if you turned into uh, South Africa's performance against England in the World Cup final it's chalk and cheese to this British and Irish Lions series which I think is the unfortunate outcome of this whole thing. Um, I'll throw this one to you, Ando. Has this series made you excited for the next British and Irish Lions tour to Australia in 2025? Yeah, massively, because it's going to show again what the potential of a touring Lions crowd can actually provide um, because of the horrible circumstances uh, that South Africa are under because of COVID. It just, there was something that was undeniably lost within this Lions tour. And that was the support both from the home crowd and from the incredible touring fans. So I'm really excited to see it in its full iteration of what the Lions tour should actually look like. And I'm just so stoked that it's going to be here in Australia and we're going to be able to go. So I can't wait to save up a lot of money and then spend a lot of money (laughs) getting tickets and jerseys and drinks and food and stuff. It's going to be fantastic. Um, So yes, I'm incredibly excited for it. And that's actually because it wasn't the greatest tour this year. Mm. And that's going to make our one even better. There's one uh, question that's been raised by some of the British and Irish Lions fans, particularly with this tour to South Africa, that the sort of super sides or the, um, like what do you, I don't know what you call them now, the domestic sides, I guess, considering the South African teams aren't in super rugby, uh, weren't up to scratch to the to play the Lions. And we saw score lines of 80-plus points being scored. And what they were saying is it wasn't a good lead-in to the series against the Springboks, and it wasn't sort of a, a good preparation. Now, some of the fans are asking what the point of actually playing... Coming to Australia in 2025, at the moment, Australian rugby is not in a great way either. We're not doing well with our supersides as well as sort of New Zealand is. Some are asking whether they forego those domestic... Uh, supersides and play um, an island nation like Tonga or Fiji in a warm-up test before facing the Wallabies. What would you say to that idea, Rev? Uh, I think they should play the um, island nations before they get here in much the same way that they played uh, Japan. And I think that calls into what uh, Gatlin was asking. He wants more preparation time. So, you know, that's three extra, well, I guess two extra weeks if you're playing uh, Tonga, Samoa and Fiji. And they probably are going to be a pretty good competition. They'll be eager to have a crack against um, the Lions. But I think we still got to have them play the Super Rugby sides. Um, 2013, I was still 
one of the best games I've seen in Brumbies. person was that Reds game. Well, the Brumbies <laughs> game was great to win. <laughs> but, um, I mean, game. just going to the stadium, I've still got that ticket of that uh, Lions game. I think we lost 22-12, to 12, but it was yep. still a really good contest. Uh, I can't remember if it was Luke Morahan or Dom Shipley, like just that chip and chase kick he yeah. ran through and scored this unreal try. So, like, those moments um, are important, do stick out, and I think a lot of fans do want to see how the team goes. Yeah. What I would do is just make sure that they are meaningful matches because the one game that wasn't that meaningful... I remember they versed New South Wales country. A yep. bunch of players that um, at that point and even beyond never went on to represent Super Rugby. They lost yeah. 64-0. Um, it wasn't good for anyone, really. Like, I mean, awesome for the New South Welshmen that got to play that game, but that didn't help the Lions prepare. I think we'd be better suited to getting the Island Nations involved. Just be yeah. careful, mate. You um just blame that all on New South Wales. I'd like to correct that you. That was a combined, was a combined New South zone. Wales-Queensland yeah. country team. Thank you. Yeah. So the Queenslanders were equally as poor. <laughs> okay. I mean, the New South Wales <laughs> I mean, score against the Lions themselves wasn't that crash hot. It was a bit of a bigger loss than the Reds one. But I, 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 I think see that your point. Also, though, that we have to take into account that at that time we had more Wallabies in the Waratahs team than Queensland did, so... Yeah, <laughs> that's why our first fifteen was mostly playing for the Wallabies and wasn't available. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's uh, anyway, move up. Uh, last question, <laughs> and I'll throw this to you, Ando, before we move on. Which player yep. stood out, and does this validate South Africa as the best team in the world at the moment? Um, I'll start with the last bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. Um, they've been the Lions. Congratulations. They are. They've kind of been able to maintain that status. If they had lost this, then I think we could justifiably call it into question. But they won against a very, very strong and well-drilled and well-coached um, Lions team. So well done. And with everything that they have been going through and the lack of rugby that they've been able to go through, I think it does uh, kind of validate them. The rugby championship is going to be a great measure for it, though. So they're going to be up against New Zealand and they are the team that really is kind of holding is the constant standard in world rugby. And so I can't wait to see those matches. That's going to be absolutely incredible. In terms of which players stood out, um, I thought that, who do I think? I thought Maro Itoje was fantastic throughout the series. He was absolutely immense, both in terms of his general set piece work, but just his defensive ability and the constant pest that he was and the occasional critical turnovers that he had. So yeah, Maro Itoje just goes from strength to strength. What I would do to have him in the world be set up, that would be incredible. See, Khaleesi was brilliant for me. Anyone mm-hmm. for you, Rev? Uh, Franz Malherber and Trevor Niakani. I think just yeah. the combination yeah. of the scrums, uh, we saw that was what won them that third test. Uh, and great to them. If you can combine the best players from four nations and still not get any sort of scrum dominance or even parity with a side, then that shows a real strength. Yeah. I also just quickly want to shout out um, Cheson Colby for his try scoring effort in the final game. I yeah. think we were talking about this before. I think he's my third favorite player in the world right now, closely behind Ned Hannigan and Ryan Lonergan <laughs> in no particular order. So Cheson Colby yeah. comes in the bronze medal in my favorite player list. Yeah. Not much else. Took to that way too seriously, guys. <laughs> just. I, I've yeah, heard it so many times. I don't know if it's it. a joke anymore. You know, it's just yeah. it sort of cemented itself into my, my psyche. Like, some yeah, of the that's... ramblings that come out of your Twitter account, though, makes us think that you do actually have some massive crush on Ned Hannigan. So, well, I I do. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So we we, we think you're <laughs> serious. We're blowing the cover. <laughs> <laughs> I've never hidden it. Why is it's yeah. not a cover? <laughs> we said it was a joke. No, I didn't. Okay. All right. All right. Moving on. Anyway, Let's, anything else um, that we want to cover? I think that's enough for the British and Irish Lions. It was a great series overall. Would it, it was unfortunate was the fans it, weren't there it? because it does take 
a, a lot of the, I guess, uh, atmosphere away from the games, and it would, probably would have been a different outcome and a different series altogether had the fans been able to be there, but it was the best that we could do under the current conditions, and it was great to see that the game still got to go ahead. Shall we move on now to our preview of the Rugby Championship? Yeah, let's, let's go. Let's do it. Now, because we've already discussed the Australia vs New Zealand uh, Blitters I2 fixture, which builds into the Rugby Championship, we thought it'd be a good idea to talk about Argentina versus South Africa because that will also be a massive moment for the Argentinian team that's been over in South Africa, sort of watching the Lions tour unfold. Um, and it's a massive opportunity because South Africa have put all their eggs into that Lions basket. They probably haven't focused too much on this Argentinian side, so it'd be nice to unpack uh, their squad and have a bit of a feel about how they might go coming into this tournament. Uh, they've filled this year with a game against Romania, which they narrowly won by seven points. A 20 to 20 draw against Wales and a 33 to 11 win against Wales, uh, but both of those fixtures without their Lions players, so it is hard to get a gauge for just how strong this Argentinian side is. But we did see them come out last year out of quarantine and beat New Zealand for the first time ever. So you know, lack of uh, match preparedness or game time doesn't really mean much to a side that's this passionate, which is our buzzword for Argentina. Uh, I guess coming into this match. This will kick off our rugby championship. So what we want to have a look at first is with the inclusion of a lot of the same familiar faces that we've um, seen in this Argentinian side of the last few years, and the only big omission being Thomas Cabelli, who's just suffered an injury, do we expect Argentina to actually be a chance against, you know, world number one Springboks? And I'll throw to you first. Do you see them getting, you know, an option or a chance to win this match? Uh, yeah, because I'm not confident that you know, South Africa are going to put their complete A team forward uh the complete best team i think that they may make this an opportunity to rest some of the players and play some of the more broader squad members to give them a rest before the upcoming new zealand games which will be coming soon after so well actually they've got two games in a row against argentina don't they um so yeah i just think that they might have a chance in the may but you know what? South Africa's just played three in a row and they're super battle-hardened now after playing the Lions. If you see wholesale changes from the South Africans, then yeah, they've got a chance to sneak it. But if not, no. And I think it could get a bit messy for them. I think that is what makes it so hard is before we see the teams, it's really just guessing as to which players come out. I've yeah. seen with the Argentinian side, they've named a 48-man squad. Uh, 20 of those players have five or less caps. They've got six players that were born in the 2000s, just to make us feel old. Uh. So pretty crazy to see, I guess, what variations they could come up with just as they try and rotate through players. Um, I guess one of the things that we probably should consider, they have included four of the players that represented Argentina in the Olympics. <laughs> so, Mitch, just based off how well they performed, are you excited to see the likes of uh, Lucio Sinti or Ignacio Mendy get some game time? Yeah, definitely. I mean, this that Argentinian team in the Olympics were just full of passion and it took them so far. And passion something that Argentina thrives on. And we saw that last year when they beat the All Blacks at Bankwest Stadium in Sydney. But they were more passionate in that game than New Zealand was, and that ultimately spurred them on to victory. One question I've got around their first few weeks, when do they travel out to Australia? Uh, they'll come across, I think, the week after their game. Because uh, with the fixtures, so do they, play, they play this weekend and then next weekend. They play both of those in South Africa. And then, yeah, yeah. And then so it's 22nd of August, our time. So it'd be 21st of August is their second match against South Africa. So they'll leave after that. So they And then they play, it uh, looks like New Zealand on September 11. Correct. Somewhere. Yep. Okay. So both Somewhere, of these games yep. are in South Africa. So that's probably going to be 
one to be aware of. Um, mm-hmm. That first test, I think, could go either way. I really do think that coming off a, a British and Irish Lions series with all the coaches and all the players so intent on winning that series, this will be a bit of an afterthought. But I think Argentina has been preparing for this test for a while. So I think they're going to come out guns blazing, try and knock the world champions off their perch round one. But I think round two is probably going to be a different story completely and South Africa will will do better and probably beat them in that one. I think South Africa needs to be smart as well around their preparation in this tournament because they don't want to come off a Lions series and a World Cup victory and then come last in the rugby championship because they haven't taken it seriously. Um, we know South Africans are all very much about pride and, and playing pride for the jersey. So I think they'll put in a good performance as well. So I'd say Argentina potentially has the option, uh, uh, the ability for an upset in round one, but round two, I think South Africa should be all over them. Yeah, I guess one of the things I want to mention with the rugby championship is obviously we had the Tri-Nations last year because South Africa couldn't make it across. And strangely for the Wallabies, we played them twice and didn't get a win against Argentina. They are a bit of the dark horse and the unknown quantity, I guess, from this set of sides. Um, the big news for us is obviously we've mentioned the Cubelli injury, but also they're starting loose head and tight head. Um, Chaparro and Cadella, they're both going to be um, taking a leave for personal reasons for the Australasian oh, wow. tour, okay. which is a interesting spin. So they are going to play both the South African games, or at least in the squad too and likely to start, but they're not going to be here for us. So that gives us a good chance. Mm. I guess what I want to tie that into is, Ando, do you think that our benchmark this year should be beating them both times, given we had two draws against them? Yeah, definitely. Um, If we want to see improvement, and well, obviously we want to see improvement, we we need to win both of those games. Um, It's without a shadow of a doubt. We need to win both of those games and pull off a win against South Africa and New Zealand at some point throughout the competition. Uh, Sorry, yeah, both of those. Because like... We've, we've got to start winning games. It's as yeah. simple as that. We can talk about heroic uh, or valiant performances or, or never giving up. But the reality is we have to start converting those close matches into wins. And that didn't happen last season in the Rugby Championship. And Rennie was very honest and upfront about it. But it needs to start shifting. And that starting point has to be Argentina. Yep. And so, Mitch, you're on board with that as well. You think, yeah, definitely. You know, that, that should be the bare minimum? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I yeah. think Australia are in the prime seat to really give this rugby championships a good shake-up. Uh, we don't have as much travel as South Africa or Argentina uh, in this tournament. We've just got to fly over from New Zealand to Perth. So there's not a whole lot of reasons for us to say we're hard done by and we, we can fall back on anything. So as Ando said, we need to start converting some of those tight games and we need to start winning and racking up those points leading into 2023. Well, I think that's probably a good chance to just sort of look at the rugby championship as a whole because we do have two matches against each side. Um, That match against New Zealand over the weekend doesn't count towards the rugby championship table. So it'd be nice to see how we can sort of go in this competition. New Zealand has shown a lot of dominance. Uh, In the 42 matches that all the teams have played, New Zealand have won 36 of the 42. They've only lost four with two draws in there. Uh, Amazingly, South Africa and Australia have both won 19. So we're sort of around the same level and Argentina only won five. So they're going to be desperately looking to try and add to that tally. Um, I'm keen to see if Matt Durrant is going for Australia or Argentina when they face up, just because Argentina do have four Western force players, one more than Australia. (laughs) Um, But we might just tie that into, because we are Australian, we're looking for our perspective. What would make a successful season 
given we do have two games against New Zealand, two against South Africa, and two against Argentina. Mitch, I'll throw to you first. What does a successful rugby championship look like uh, for Australia, given our current expectations? I think we need to beat New Zealand both times. Uh, sorry, Argentina Whoa. both times. Oh, hey! <laughs> hey. <laughs> no, we need to beat Argentina both oh, times same here. and get one victory against South Africa would be a successful cha- uh, tournament rugby champs for Australia. Uh, I don't think it's realistic to say we're going to beat New Zealand in either of those games. If we do, brilliant, but I'm not putting that as a pass mark because of how hard it is at the moment. So if we can beat Argentina twice and beat South Africa once in the two games we play them, because we will be playing both of them in Australia, uh, so home ground advantage should help in that instance, uh, that would be a successful campaign in my books. Is that same for you, Ando? Uh For me, it's three. Three wins is successful, as long as the other games aren't blowouts. Um, if I know I said I want to beat New Zealand and South Africa once each. I just think that when, when I add it up and I go, oh, there's only six games in total, um, let, let's go for three wins and then some close results in the other ones, and I'll take that as a, a positive progression compared to last year. Yeah, there was a point that got brought up a little while ago about whether it would be better off to have one win against New Zealand and get thumped twice or if it would be better to just have three close losses. And I think that's kind of the narrative um, Australian rugby fans are struggling with is we've been, I guess, happy with close losses for so long. We do need to actually, you know, get some wins on the board and show that dominance. And I I think I'm on the same page. Three wins to me would be good. And I don't really care where they come from. If it's one against each of the nations, if it's one against either New Zealand or South Africa and two against Argentina, I think four wins, I'd be ecstatic. And I think two wins... I think that's just below, you know, acceptable. I think we do need to aim a little bit higher, even though we, um, you know, on paper, we shouldn't beat South Africa or New Zealand. I think that's, you know, pretty fair to say. The home ground advantage and just the fact that we aren't traveling as much, we should be closer to family. We, you know, have a good team um, on potential. I'd like to think that, you know, one of those four matches, we can sort of get the element of surprise or just have everything click. So I think pretty fair expectation coming from there. But I guess... You know, every fan sitting back at home thinking the same thing for their team. They've probably got higher expectations if they're from South Africa or New Zealand. So it'll be interesting to see how that progresses. Yeah. Uh, we actually just got to hope it starts and then we can get some uh, games going. So I mean, I've got real I've got real worries that South Africa still won't come. We saw yeah. it last year. They pulled out at the last minute. And with COVID being so rampant in South Africa at the moment and now in Australia, there is a real chance that they may play Argentina and then say it's not safe enough player welfare mm. for us to come out. We're pulling out. And yeah. what do we do then? It's kind of like how like England kept six that um, really impressive unbeaten streak and that really good win rate because they never played the All Blacks. South Africa might think, hey, we won the World Cup. We didn't play in 2020. We've beaten Georgia, which doesn't care much, and we've won a Lions series. If we can beat Argentina twice... You know, let's just call it there. We'll wait till 2022. We're playing, we're playing we'll test play matches then. Yeah. Like, um, you know, they might be quite happy with the little sort of win rate that they're accruing. So uh, that will be interesting to see. Um, I've wondered, yeah, I just hope that they come over here so we can get that um, action. And especially because they play South Africa at Suncorp, I'm very keen to get to that game and just see, you know, just how and these Sydney. are in person. And Sydney, if we don't, if and they S- don't play South Africa in Sydney, we don't get a Wallabies test this year. It's not going to happen, mate. Like, it's we're, we're not doing live sport in oh, Sydney this well, year. They can still play it here. They just won't have crowds, hopefully. Nah, there's no point. Yeah. There's no point. 
do it somewhere in Australia where you can have a crowd. In my, that's my opinion. Um, I'd much prefer there be a crowd than just to arbitrarily have one in Sydney for the sake of having it in oh, Sydney. But Hooper so. wants to sleep in his own bed. <laughs> Fair. Fair. <laughs> Make right, the team revolve around Hooper. Uh, locker room now. Let's go. Sounds good. Let's go. Thank you, everybody, for getting your locker room questions in. We are going to be flying through these. And let's start off with Hugh Tyndall on Twitter. Are Rennie and Hooper right to be upbeat post-match? Four tries apiece. One in New Zealand was an intercept. Noah was off the had an off night on the boot. There was pretty decent parity in the forwards and some improvements in D. Mitch, what do you think about that one? Do you agree with him? At, do they have a right to be upbeat? Yeah, I think they do. I mean, they, they stuck with New Zealand and... It was very much looking like the narrative we've had we've seen for the last sort of five years or so that 33-8 down, New Zealand just run away with the game and the Wallabies aren't able to fire another shot. And we look at a final score of 56 to 60 to 8. Uh, so the fact is that they were able to claw that game back is is a good sign. And it, it's good. And Hooper is right in saying that, you know, we finished strong. We finished strong all year. And that's an exciting thing. They just need to start fast. So yeah. I think there is a lot to be said about that. At the same time, New Zealand potentially did take their foot off the gas, knowing that the game was won. So, a uh, bit of bit of both sides there. But I do think uh, Dave Rennie and Michael Hooper have some cause to be uh, happy after that game. Rev, how do you think these teams would go against the box? Is the second part to Hugh's question. I think the string box would beat Australia. Um, they do the things that Australia aren't good at. So they capitalize on mistakes. They kick points when they're on offer. Uh, they've got a great uh, line out and scrum, and I think they're the things that Australia is trying to be good at or trying to show glimpses of, but um, they just can't quite compete. So I think Springboks pretty clear favourites over Australia at the moment. Against New Zealand, it's interesting. Um, 2019, the only two matches they didn't win was a draw and a loss to New Zealand. Um, South Africa have only won three of the last 21 contests between them and New Zealand. So I think despite them being the best team in the world and they've earned that right through the World Cup and the Lions series, they don't actually have the wood over New Zealand in terms of matchups. I think New Zealand still have that spark that's too hard to contain. Yep. Um, I think the Springboks will win the first matchup between them this year, but I definitely think it's you know a much closer game than probably any other fixture between them. I will say quickly on that point as well, I think South Africa are used to playing a Northern Hemisphere-style game at the moment, and we saw that in this British and Irish Lions series. They've played a lot of European sides and it's been at the very beginning of that tournament in 2019 that they last played a Southern Hemisphere side. Australia and New Zealand are playing a completely different type of rugby to what the British and Irish Lions and Georgia and all the and England are playing at the moment. So there could be some disparity there. We're running things a lot more. They're, the Springboks are looking to kick and to play that territory game. So there is a little bit of a different tempo style as well. I wonder if that would come into account. Good questions. Big Will Rugby asks, well, states, the retaliate clean-out's a good one. Definitely divided opinions. Discuss the illegal infringements that Hooper commits to. Not releasing, playing the ball and offside. This should be spicy. Well, I'll just really simply say that I didn't see anything that Hooper did that was illegal, aside from him <laughs> being offside off the kick return. Apart from that, I'm fairly sure he's angelic, so we can move on from that point. <laughs> um, for Retallic, look... There's a big part of me that doesn't have the biggest issue in the world with it um, on reflection. At the time, you get frustrated because he, he, look, he comes in from the side and he takes out a player who was playing the ball, ref tells him to get off, lifts his hand up and he's like, okay, okay, I'm not playing with it anymore. And then unnecessarily, Retallick comes in and smashes him from the side when Hooper doesn't even see him coming. So 
it's a pretty dog shot. Like, it's a pretty cheap shot that Retallic does. He's in the ruck, so I'm not sure if you could argue that it's, like, off the ball as such. But he does come in from the side. But even then, afterwards, it's... I mean, we didn't lose a game from it or anything mm. like that. Um, Rev, have I kind of responded to that? Do you think there's anything more we need to add? No, I think that's pretty fine. I mean, um, not every time you bring up a point about a game, you need to bring up both sides. I think it's fair to just have an um, observation about one specific outlier. And I don't think anyone's taking that away from New Zealand. They deserve to win the match. Um, yeah, both yeah. sides obviously infringed. I think there's never been a game in the history of rugby where there's been one side that's not given away a penalty or done something that you know they shouldn't have if it was played perfectly. So, yeah, it's just nitpicky to bring up everything. I think, um, you know, I- I'm fine as well with that uh, not being a penalty. Yep. I will say right. um, around that, I-, I can see what Will's referring to is that Hooper is on the wrong side of that. So, yes, he has yeah. pulled away and he's put his hands up. But the fact is, if he's not in that position, Retallick doesn't need to clear him out. So it doesn't give Retallick the um, the right to hit him high. But at the same time, it's all played at life's quick speed. You can slow anything down and it looks a lot worse. So I'm happy for it to just be waved on and keep playing. We're going to pull up every single thing. We'll, as we saw in the Lions series, we'll be having 65-minute Lions tour. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, Craig Fitzgerald, can we please get Mark Gerard to help with bank, to help Banks and his kicking to the sideline from a penalty? Maybe get a bit more distance from them. I think that's a pretty harsh call. Uh, I think Banks is probably the best uh, kicking for touch player in Australian rugby. His kicks on the weekend weren't great because the wind was mm. horrific, and both teams struggled with that. Um, and then in a previous match, his the one that didn't go to touch early on in the game uh, in the French series. I think that was the second game of the French series. And I think that's the only um, one that he didn't get out. Yeah, that's the only one he didn't get out. And even then it's by like half a metre. And if it goes half a metre to the right, it's an incredible kick. And now he's getting lambasted for it because it goes half a metre to the left. I think what he's saying in this, in this though, that Mark Gerard was very good at kicking long and getting long touch finders. So... Banks yeah, has so that Banks. ability. Banks is good. Yeah, at it. and Banks has that ability. And so what I think he's saying is that Mark Gerard might be able to let get teach him to be a little bit more accurate to make sure he's getting it out, but also getting it out wrong. Okay. Mick Ryan, if not for a bad night on a kicking tee, this would be a very different chat. Easy thing to fix. So I have hope for Bledisloe too. I agree with that. It's not really a question, so let's move on with that as a statement. And then Simon Griffin, for next week, he's expecting Rennie to kick pick a couple of areas to focus on and should be a closer game. More misdirection in the back line and moving point of attack more. Oh, and if you don't waste time on referee calls and on calls, it can only be good. I don't think we've wasted any time on that. So no, how, yeah, how well good? Done. How good? You're welcome. Yeah, well um, again, and that's a comment, so I don't think we need to speak to that much more. Uh, Jock Cudmore asks, is it time for Hodge to be in fullback in place of Banks doesn't offer enough? Uh, oh, Rev. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, wait, well, Rev, it. I'm cutting you off, Mitch. Preach it. <laughs> Preach it. That's what I said Mitch, earlier. Go. Yeah, I, I just think Banks is, he's had four games at fullback now, and for me, he's not firing as much as, or having as much of an impact as, say, a player like Falau or, um, you know, a, a big fullback. So I think Hodge is a bigger presence on the ball. He's better under the high ball. I'd love to see Hodge back there. He also offers another kicking option, particularly a long range kicker, which we know can come in handy. All right, Rev. Uh, it's like offering me Tyo Indian for dinner. Happy with both. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't care which one came home. You know, it's all, you know, I think yep. they both do a job. Okay, cool. Uh, for me, no. 
All right, moving on. <laughs> Paul Quirk, in regards to the Lions vs South Africa test, has anyone ever seen so many medics and water runners take to the field in one game? It was one of the most frustrating parts of the entire series with the stoppages and the amount of people on the field. I love there's um, one comment. I don't know if you saw this because you didn't watch the whole game, but there's one comment that the commentators make probably like the 56th minute that the ref blows uh, stop because I think uh, Khaleesi goes down with a, an arm injury and 10 people come onto the field. 10 from both sides. It's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That's just stupid. Um, and I don't want to see that. I want there to be a limit. Um, if a player is like genuinely injured and you need multiple medics to go out and help, yeah, cool, fine. But like one water boy, water girl for the forwards, one for the backs, done. That's and it. not a director of rugby, please. all right let's move on Douglas Gardner horrendous opening period for us and to be honest we only played it to our best for about 20 minutes playing tight and through the forward seems more productive than playing expansive or running rugby at the moment kicking was dire the weather was a factor correct um Dave Chilton is also asking has Banks done enough to stay at fullback are there other long-term options that are better uh I think we've already spoken to that Pattaya and uh, no, he's not proven. Everyone's talking not about yet. it. Not yet. Long term. Let him have a full said. season. Long-term oh, by option. the way, if he has a full season at the Reds at fullback, then send, um, send. I'm having Jock a mental Campbell. Campbell. Jock Campbell down to the uh, Waratahs, please. Yeah. Um, otherwise, where's Campbell going to play? And you're going to have one of the best fullbacks in Australian rugby on the bench or not even playing. So, no, in my mind. Who, who's uh, the best fullback you're saying? I said Jock. one of the best. Jock Campbell. Yeah, he definitely is. Yeah, well, why is he um, not? Why is he not in the squad? That's not. That's a great shout. For sure. Yeah, that's I, another I wonder. I've always wondered why he hasn't got more. I think maybe he needs one more season to really impress because he's pretty young. But how's Pattaya um, getting Rev, selected? Rev, you're the red supporter. Jump in here. Come on. Um, yeah, Campbell's. I think only a year younger than Banks. He's about twenty-five or twenty-six. So he's. Oh really? Okay. He's a bit older than he looks. He's been around the track for a bit. Um, the big thing I think was just he wasn't reading the game exactly how Thorne wanted, so he shifted from fullback to wing. Um, it was just kind of that Hegarty was a better defensive reader. And that might be something that's sort of weighed into Rennie as well. He just thinks, well, if he's not quite as good an attack as Banks, and if he's not quite as good at kicking as Hodge, and he doesn't really have you know a well-rounded skill set good enough to squeeze his way past either of those two, then he probably just doesn't see the you know, point of him being in there if he's not going to stop. What about Kellaway? At fullback, oh, he's played. Maybe he he's hasn't played, played there enough. He has played his the juniors there. He plays his yeah, juniors there. He's got to have super rugby experience at that level before you're mm. calling him for the Wallabies. I think Rennie will have a big chat to Kevin Foot next year about how that Rebels backline shapes up because between Tamua, Hodge, and Kellaway, they're pretty versatile. They can play a few positions. Yeah. I think super rugby players should be playing in the same position. They will likely play in yeah. test matches. Yeah. Um, whether that happens or not, I, I think either of those would be a good fit there. All right, guys, that is it for the locker room. Thank you so much for getting to this point. Uh, what we might do, uh, Rev, is there anything really important that you wanted to say that we've missed so far in this board? Um, no, I think everything's been pretty well covered. I, I think just one last thing to keep in mind for everyone that is a bit down about the Wallabies loss, if there is anyone that is. Uh, our average age is 24.6, New Zealand is 27.3. We're much younger, you know, Cooper, Slipper and... Um, you know, players like that sort of and uh, Matt Tuller boost that age up a bit. So I think, you know, these guys are coming through. I know it's been the same excuse. I know people have said throughout the week, for the love of God, don't mention rebuilding or <laughs> anything. But, it, I mean, that is a serious thing. Like, we are the youngest squad in this rugby championship. So we've got to make sure that we um, give them time to develop. There's not much yep. time left, but, you know, yep. they're improving. So, Yep, I agree. Uh, Mitch, anything you want to say before we finish up? Pick and drive live this Thursday, 8 p.m. Are we doing it? 
I think we're doing. Yeah, it. We're let's doing let's, it. Do it. Uh, let's do it. <laughs> we'll have we'll have to see. Oh, I, I need to energy. check my calendar. Um, <laughs> we basically want to do another lead into this match. There are a couple of really fun points through the game. I want to try and get some footage of and unpack and analyze a bit. Uh, there's some definite Brumbies work happening within the Wallabies Mall, which I'm very, very keen to uh, dissect with us all. So, uh, yep, get involved. Thursday night, 8 p.m. Look forward to seeing you there and have a wonderful week, ladies and gentlemen. Bye.